Uh, my name is Chuck Register. I'm a part of the planning team for Reaching the Nations. Uh, I welcome those of you who are here in Binkley Chapel and those who are watching by way of live stream today. As we began to plan Reaching the Nations 2017, one of the concepts uh, that we really wanted to focus on was to give you an opportunity to hear from some of our diaspora brothers uh, of what it was like coming to America. Uh, most of us involved in diaspora ministry in the U.S., especially from the Anglo Church, um, we only know the stories we hear. We haven't personally experienced packing up our family, moving across the ocean, trying to settle in a new environment, to learn a new language, uh, to learn new culture. And so we've invited some of our brothers to come today and to share their story with us so that by hearing their story, we might also see ways that the church in the U.S. can come alongside refugees and immigrants and international students, uh, helping them during this time of transition, and in so doing, use this opportunity to engage them with the gospel of Christ. Hiro, come right on up and join us, brother. Um, and so what I'm going to do is to ask my two brothers uh, to introduce themselves to you uh, and to tell what I call their immigration story this afternoon. Uh, I hope that they'll share with you things like their native nation, where they're from, um, what age they happen to be, their family circumstances when they came to the U.S., uh, why they immigrated to the U.S., and if they were an English speaker at the time, or were they coming to a culture where a whole new language had to be embraced. And so, Let's listen to their immigration story today. And Noel, I'm going to start with you. Introduce yourself and tell us your story. I'm uh, Noel uh, de Asis, and uh, I'm from the Philippines. I grew up, I was born in Manila. I grew up there, and uh, I have no provinces, so uh, I was more exposed to the urban, urban type of living, so crowded in Manila. And so uh, uh, I was a pastor there and uh, a chaplain, also a Far East Broadcasting Company. And what my case is very different because uh, I was discipling you know, business people during those days. Um, God has entrusted me a very special ministry, uh, doing a lot of things in many different corporations. And because of that, um, one of them helped me get a uh, what we call a tourist visa. And uh, because of that tourist visa, uh, I got the opportunity to be invited as speakers in many different churches, both Anglo, African-American, and uh, Filipino-American churches, most especially in California. And so um, I frequented the U.S. almost every year, sometimes even twice a year, thrice a year, because of those exciting speaking engagements. And um, until finally one church, well, every year when I came here, of course, there will always be churches and organizations who would want me to stay and minister and serve in, under their organization. But um, for some reasons, every year I came here, I, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel that calling yet. So I was kind of <laughs> enjoying what I was doing and uh, um, doing radio broadcasts that can reach uh, China and India, English-speaking regions. I was enjoying it very well and ministering to international missionaries in Far East Broadcasting Company, publishers, interpreters, book writers, and many others. And so um, <clears throat> until finally in the year 2000, um, I felt 
a call because there was a church that lost their pastor. And they talked with me. I became their frequent speakers, speaker. And uh, um, my heart was heavy for them until I, my wife and I talked with God about it. And uh, we felt the go signal from the Lord. And, and so they helped us. The church helped us um, um, get all the papers done. And um, it was very smooth. It was prior to uh, 9-11. Because after 9-11, it was very difficult. And so um, we came here January of 2000. And it was very smooth. And uh, I became the pastor in California in the year 2000. Now, when you came with your wife, did, did you have children at that time? Yeah. We and have, what ages would they have been? We have uh, three children, and what happened is my wife and I were given papers, and then uh, they, they started taking care of the papers of our children. The goal is to get them from Manila. Uh, and uh, it did not take that long until finally they were, they were able to fly into the U.S., and we were so delighted about that. Okay. It, was, it was very smooth. So you're transitioning from the Philippines. You already speak the language, obviously, have a lot of wonderful contacts yeah. in the U.S., yeah. uh, but my uh, suspicion is there were probably still some emotions that you're dealing with, leaving your home, coming to a new country. Can you remember and describe some of those emotions? Well, actually, my story is that uh, prior coming to the U.S., there is an uh, organization in, in Rome, Italy, who was actually getting in touch with me already. So uh, my, I was not really bent on coming here or staying here or serving here because I was more already programmed to go to Rome because they're already preparing everything there, uh, language school for our children and many others. It's a long story, but uh, something happened with the senior pastor. There was a car accident, and all the plans were... Um, dissolved, uh, aborted. And, uh, and because of that, I felt God uh, opening up a way uh, to really confirming with me and with, with my wife that uh, this is the place where he wanted us to be. And so uh, it was a struggle because uh, there was even a disagreement between me and my wife because I did not want to serve here. I, I was just enjoying what I was doing there back home. I was, plant, I was uh, able to plant a couple of churches. I was a senior pastor of an established church. I was a part-time faculty member of a, um, a Bible school and, uh, and then became the chaplain and radio broadcaster of Far East Broadcasting Company. And at the same time, I was an English pastor of a big Chinese church. So I was, I was kind of enjoying what I was doing. It was very different. And, um, but my wife felt that there's something new that God is doing. And um, I think it took us a lot of prayers, to be honest with you. We really bent our knees to God about it. And we want to be united in that big transition in our lives until finally I felt it, until finally there was peace, especially when I heard the news about Rome. And so, um, yes, there was an emotional struggle. So what you're really trying to say is she won the argument. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hiro, tell us your story. How, how did you come to the U.S.? When? Uh, where's your home country? Tell us your immigration story. Good afternoon. 
My name is Jairo Contreras. I'm originally from Colombia, South America, uh, from the capital, Bogota. And uh, I came to this country in 1992, uh, straight to Asheville, North Carolina. And the reason I get there was because my brother, one of my oldest brothers, used to live in this country for many years. So at that time, uh, he was opened the door for me to come, come to this country. And uh, I was uh, doing missionary work in South America for, before coming to this country. It was 10 years before that. I was working with Campus Crusade, with Bill Bright Organization. And uh, I was able to travel in some countries in South America, like Venezuela, Ecuador, Peru. So I was having a deep foundation background in, in the gospel ministry. And uh, there was no really particular reason I came to this country, but my brother invited me, and uh, I was really praying about it. And um, I, I was having a secular job there. I was working at a, as a hotel restaurant manager at one of the big hotels in the capital. And on the side, I was a, a missionary. But after we prayed, and the door, the, the door was open for us to any Central America or South America countries to get a visa, even a tourist visa, it, it, it's really tough. It's really difficult. So I say, okay, if the Lord opened the door and I get the papers, I, I will be able to come into the, to the States. And yeah, that was, that was the first step coming to this country. All right. So were you married at the time and have children? Uh, no, I was single. I was, I was 29 years old when I came to, to the States. Uh, but a year after, in 1923, I went back to Colombia and I was engaged with one of my wife's now and uh, she was a missionary in, in Miami, Florida. So when I came back from Colombia after after one year, then we just decided to get married in Florida and live in Miami, Florida, uh, do a church planting work uh, for one year. And then since I was noticed that the mountains and uh, the lifestyle around here is, is more safe for raise the family. So we just agreed that we're going to come and move to, to the mountains. And we came back to Asheville, North Carolina in okay. 1994. All right. So both of you men in your ministries um, were able to come to the U.S. having an understanding and, and function very well in the language, uh, having contacts and relationships already here in the U.S. Uh, but your story, my, I'm going to guess, is fairly unique, perhaps, than some of those that you serve and minister to now who are coming to the U.S. Uh, and this is a completely different culture with very few relationships and maybe a language to learn. So talk to us this afternoon about what um, your church members are feeling, the people you minister to who are coming to the U.S. to settle. What are some of the emotions they deal with, some of the struggles that are theirs? Well, in my first few years in my pastorate in California, it was kind of shocking and heartbreaking at times because of the American dream. A lot of um, Filipino um, people would 
do something at the expense of values and religion, at the expense of uh, dignity and character, just to be able to get documents in the U.S. And I have to um, admit that it was very hard for me because um, we, I encountered a lot of um, men, for example, and even women who would um, br break off from a marital relationship and just to be able to marry somebody here who has a paper and because of that uh, committing some uh, of the things that we don't want to happen. There's so many heartbreaking moments because of children involved and families involved. And sometimes, to be honest, um, I'm grappling for words to say about this because children have already been born to this new relationship and stuff like that. It's kind of hard and kind of shocking for me as a new pastor in the U.S. because um, in Manila, it's still quite a, uh, I mean, divorce is really not um, a common language in Manila. And so uh, it was very hard. I need to consult other pastors in order for me to be able to find the right words to say and minister to them in a way that they will really find God in that kind of situation. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying that in order to, to chase what we call the American dream, uh, in order to gain the immigration papers to come to the U.S., mm -hmm. people are dissolving their families right. in order to marry into a relationship that makes immigration papers available. There's a lot like that, yes. So then you have a, a broken home left in the Philippines. That's right. And perhaps a, certainly a challenged home yep. that's forming in the U.S., Yes. Hiro, how about the folks you minister to? Um, tell us about some of their immigration fears, some of their emotional struggles, some of the challenges that they face when they come to the U.S. Well, first of all, I'm going to start with my own experience. Um, I came with a tourist visa for the first year, but then when I came back to Colombia, because my time expired here, so I had to return back to Colombia when I decided coming back again and I was not able to do it as a tourist visa because uh, the political situation in my country was really, really tough. So I came in an asylum political uh, visa. And when I came to this country, I was able to apply for asylum and they gave me asylum for like four or five years. And then right after uh, one of the churches where I was working with and, and uh, and Rutherford uh, decided to uh, apply for my religious visa. So that was, that's the way I became a citizen and now, and now I'm a citizen. Because, uh, like I say, it's, it's not an easy way to find the, the proper, uh, the proper uh, style to do it. It's, it's so difficult. Most people think ah, when they see a lot of Spanish around and they see a lot of difficulties for because the papers they don't know how hard it is to get the the, the the visa or the legal papers around here so that was my experience and and since Mexico is so close it's a, it's a, it's a country borders to United States 
many people has been crossing the border for, for years, and not only from Mexico, but from South America, from Central America, from any other country, they make it, make it easier to come to this country. So when people get here, they had to survive, they had to live, and they had to find a way to do it. And if there is any way they can do it, they do. But the, unfortunately, there's not many ways to do it. So to work with the uh, environment and the situation, it makes it harder for short planters, for uh, uh, ministry, the people, because most of the time they are afraid, especially in today's day, that the immigration uh, is so tight and so tough. Uh, people are so afraid to drive without license. People are so afraid to go work or to go uh, up to stores or even take the kids to the school. So they had to find the ways. And one way to, to do is living in the, in the, in the community all together, because that way they cover the needs each other. For example, if somebody needs to go work and nobody take care of the kids at the house, well, the neighbors come in and take care, you know. If you don't have right to go to work, maybe your neighbor had the license and he take, take you to, to go work and come picking up back uh, to home. And uh, there, there, is, there is a tension right now that most people thinking about to just go back or continue living until they they get and they deport back to their countries. So it's 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 kind of dif difficult, but it's not like impossible to do it. It just makes it harder for the ministry to to grow at Spanish churches right now. Well, you bring up uh, both. You bring up some great uh, points, some observations. One that the immigration environment changed after 9/11, and things became much more difficult. Uh, in immigrating to the U.S. And now we see the immigration environment uh, being um, taking a, another step up in tension and stress uh, for the future of our diaspora brothers. And so you've mentioned several challenges, uh, family challenges. You've mentioned, Noel, you've mentioned um, some of the challenges that our immigrants' uh, communities are facing, bring them together to live in a community environment to help one another whether that's with transportation, childcare. So talk to us from your experience, what are some ways that churches in the U.S. can come alongside and minister to our diaspora brothers, our immigrants and our refugees that live in our communities, um, that not only meets a real need in their lives, but also gives us an opportunity then to express the gospel for life transformation. So. From your experience, what are some ways that churches can come alongside immigrants and make a very significant ministry into their life and meet a need? Well, uh, in, uh, let me clarify that there are legal immigrants and there are still undoc undocumented illegal immigrants among our communities. And, and so for us to be able to minister to, uh, for example, the legal immigrants is for them to uh, find a sense of community because um, um, it's there's a lot of uh, I would say culture cultural differences even even among the Filipino Americans here in the U.S. things change. For example, um, I have encountered parents who copied the not so good things in America. For example, absentee parents, 
they just want to get a lot of money but forget the most valuable thing of growing their children and being with them and, you know, um, exercising real parenting and influence. And I also have encountered young people who are very independent and that sense of individualism, it was really shocking to me. And so uh, I, I, I was able to at least learn from them and be able to minister to them to connect all the dots, find the balance. Especially. And Noel, these young people would be second-generation Filipinos? Yes, yes. Okay. they don't anymore speak the language. They're, they speak uh, our language here in the U.S., and uh, they have grown in an environment where it's very American. And so um, uh, those things, uh, in my first few years, I have encountered them, and so I need to adjust a little bit. I need to learn. I need to uh, kind of figure out where they're coming from and so that I will be able to minister to them. And, um, and so those are not easy. And um, um, trying to penetrate everybody from different contexts, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ where uh, real righteousness can be found. So um, that, 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 is quite, that is quite a task for me then. And, um, and um, for the, I have met people, for example, too, that are illegal immigrants, undocumented. And to be honest with you, they went through a lot of hardships. People exploited them. People abused them. And they are living in fear. And so uh, they are just very dependent on uh, whoever can help them in, in, in every day of their lives. And so uh, we... As a church, we would like to minister to them to make them feel they belong and as a community. And we want, we want to be able to talk with them heart to heart because most of the time, it takes a while for them to really open up. It takes a while for them to really tell you the truth. It takes a lot of friendship. It takes a lot of trust. And so um, when you obtain that, then you will be able to figure out how you can help them uh, find sponsors, find a job or a business or something like that, that could legalize their stay uh, in the U.S. Uh, for example, I have met a pastor who was illegal, unfortunately, in the U.S. And I am not proud of that. But uh, he went through a lot of hardships. He was exploited by um, an Anglo church somewhere in the West and he was exploited, he was living miserably. And um, he came to me, he called me and said, uh, Pastor Noel, can you help me? Because, because during those days, I was also serving as an executive director of the Association of Filipino Churches. And I said, sure, why not? What's, your, what's the problem? And so in, to cut the long story short, we talked, and I found out that uh, the church, sad to say, um, used fake documents to get him. And, um, and then after that, they left him with nothing, hoping that he, was, he will be sponsored, hoping that he will obtain papers, hoping that he will get a decent salary, but he did not. So I consulted people in try, trying to help him, and um, the advice is for him to go back home. It was a struggle for him. I told him, you got to go back home. And, you know, it was a struggle. I said, that's the only remedy. Go back home 
and then we will find a church who will petition you if you really felt called here. And finally, I was able to convince him because it was a lawyer who talked to him. He won't really believe me 100%, but when I found a lawyer that could talk to him, he believed. And so he went back home. After one year, the church that I talked to was able to petition him, and now he's a good pastor somewhere in Texas. That's such a sad story on so many levels. Um, One that the the witness of the church would be so poor that he would believe an attorney before he would believe representatives of the church. Um, So what I'm hearing you say, Noel, is that because of um, abuse and because of being taken advantage of throughout the immigration process, that step one for the local church would be building a relationship uh, that engenders trust right. between the church and the individual, or the church and the family. Yes. Okay. It's very important. Now, uh, Hiro, I'll ask you that same question. Noel's brought up the, the nuanced difference between being able to minister to uh, legal residents in the U.S. and those that are undocumented residents in the U.S. Have you noticed a difference in being able to minister to those two groups in your community? Certainly, it's, it's a big difference when you can come into the church, drive your car from home, bring your family with no fear. It makes huge difference when you had to drive your car, looking around if there any police car around you or anything like that. It, it makes it tough. It makes it different. And uh, how we've been... Uh, ministry to these people, even the, the, the fir- especially the first generation, the second generation, they don't have too much problem for, on, on coming to the church or understand the dynamics of how the law works. But the first generation is is difficult, be- not only because the lifestyle that they have here with uh, undocumented, but also they had their families back home. And they had to connect it with their families, but not only connect it, but also support their families. Sometimes they, they leave uh, uh, kids or the parents that they don't depend on na- na- nobody else but for themselves. So they feel compromised to, to work harder here to support them back home. And in order to do that, sometimes they had to work on Sundays or had to find two or three jobs in order to supply the needs. So that's one thing that is like you don't face fighting only one thing, but two or three different things at the same time. So what we provide from the ministry for the churches, uh, like if we had vents, we just go pick pick the people up from their houses, from the, the, the kids, the families, we just had to provide transportation to can come into the church, uh, at least to solve the situation for coming on, on Sunday at the church. And uh, do a lot of home, home Bible studies, so we had to go to their homes, so that, that way they don't have to go out in the night and, and come into the church, like on Wednesday night or any other night. We prefer go to their houses and, and, and build it out the, the, the faith and, and grew up with the spiritual growth. They, they, they had the knowledge of the Bible because uh, 
without that they don't they don't really feel like this is important to come into the church so we had to start establish the foundation on the gospel but we had to find the ways uh, another difficult situation is that we don't have too, too many ministries uh, engage in go out because uh, there is there is so much need that we don't be able to uh, cover that need so we feel short uh, we wish we can have more missionaries or more laborers uh, equipped to go out for those trailer parks and those houses just to do a more home Bible studies in order to to see more results but right now it's, it's, it's getting difficulty because of, of, of the situation so with the heightened immigration environment in the U.S. today, especially among Hispanic community, um, transportation issues are significant, but the opportunity for the church to move into the home with home Bible studies, I'm hearing you say, is an excellent path forward in engaging families with the gospel. So building relationships and trust, being willing to take the church into the community instead of expecting the immigrant community to come to us, being willing to engage them. Um, let me kind of shift gears a second, and let's talk about um, legal assistance. What are some ways that the church can come alongside and perhaps provide uh, legal aid, legal assistance, um, as people are trying to deal with expired visas or visas that are changing? What kind of legal assistance have you seen that the church can provide? Noel? Well, in our, in our case... Um we have, uh, for example, engineers who came here and um, they were also exploited by corporations only to find out that they will not really push through with uh, sponsorship and stuff like that. Um, their desire is to be able to find a corporation that will employ them so that they can be sponsored. Uh, we have teachers also in our church in Fayetteville and uh, they are also they're only here for a certain number of years and they are also desiring that they will be sponsored by a school system or district so that they will be able to stay here as a permanent legal permanent resident Uh, we have families who um, were able to bring their children and good for them the for example one of the sons would enter the military and because of that, the military will be able to do that for them. And we have experiences like that. They were qualified to be part of uh, the Army or the Navy and other branches of the armed forces of the United States. So um, the church can help by, through networks, finding corporations that they will be employed as a very productive citizen of the United States and at the same time be helped uh, so that they will have that freedom to be immersed, really, and be part of the society. So when, when we may speak of legal assistance, uh, it's not necessarily an attorney who can come alongside and deal with immigration law. We can help them legally by helping provide corporate sponsors and networks for those relationships to develop. Yes, because those corporations have their own legal system, uh, legal people who will actually take care of everything. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hiro, what have you observed? What, how can we, the church, come alongside to assist legally in, in this immigration process? Sometimes we had to deal case by case, individually, because 
each person or each family uh, had their own uh, experience or their own situation. Most of the time, if you are undocumented here in the States, fortunately, there is no many things you can do. I mean, it's just no way. Even if you come in with the tourist visa or any other type of visa, and that visa expire, and you stay here, then the doors close it out completely. You, you, you don't have no way to, to go out. Unless you stay here for a little longer, have your family, and the kids grow up, and then after the, the first one, the, the age 20, 21, they be able to apply for their parents, and they had to, to do that process. But most people don't feel like they take it 20, 21 years waiting uh, and, and see what happened, you know. And the immigration law is changing very, very rapidly every time. So practically, uh, the, as a church, we provide some kind of advising. Uh, we may find a lawyer that study the case and they can see the possibilities to see if, if there is one. In uh, most, most of the cases, there is no, no many options. Uh, the only option is go back home and maybe, like some say, that through the big companies or corporation or the migrant work on the fields, they provide visa. They, they, they allow to people come in for a season period of time, and they come and work, and they have to go back, and like twice a year, once a year, they do that. But uh, you, can, you can produce some income, but not establish any relation, any family, anything in the States, because you're not being able longer to stay uh, uh, with documents around here. It's, it's a one-on-one it's -on -one situation that you have to study, you have to deal with, and, uh, and, and people pretty much decide just to live like it is and see what happens. Hmm. Yeah, no, no many options. For those of you who are here in the chapel and have an opportunity to take advantage of our other breakout sessions, um, there is a breakout being offered by a gentleman named Antonio Santos. He's dealing with immigration and legal issues, if that's an interest of yours. And so look in your program and you'll be able to see uh, the second hour in which that breakout is being offered. So let me get back to um, a question that you helped me to, um, to zero in on, Jairo. Um, if I heard you correctly, I almost heard you say that unless um, those in your community are here on a legal visa that needs to be extended and therefore legal assistance can be offered, that is almost a hopeless situation legally? Did I, did I understand you to say that? Yeah, yeah, because when you're living in this country for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years, most likely you got, a, say, a speeding ticket or you be in a car accident or you be in any legal issue. If that show up in, in the process of application, they can hold you up. So it's, it's not the area applying and see what's going to happen. They, because you're living here, it's most likely you're being exposed to anything can happen to you or your family. So when 
you start to evaluate all those th things, then becoming the oh, this is this is almost impossible to to do it unless you go back home and a church ask you apply for you, or you come into a student visa, or you come in through the corporation, or a relative apply for you, and it's a way that you come in through the application. Uh, it, there are many ways, but there are no easy ways for the people that already been living here and they have their families here. So that that's what we are looking for, because we had like a church of 100 people. Okay, how many those are documented or undocumented? Okay, you count maybe 50-50, for example. Okay, you count with 50% of the people that you know for sure that you have your church, your church going on. But the other 50, you can have it this Sunday, but next Sunday, 20, 25% probably you don't see it. Because you, you don't know when the immigration is coming to your neighborhood and picking right. it up. Right. right. So, Some of the um, typical ministries we might see to uh, diaspora peoples, um, English is a second language. Uh, we might see in certain communities a, a medical, dental, mobile bus coming through, uh, perhaps uh, some type of a food bank to assist because income generation is such a challenge. Talk to us a little bit about some of those types of compassion ministries that you've seen to be very effective in ministering to diaspora peoples from your experience. Um, it is very helpful uh, because most of the, uh, let me talk about the illegal immigrants, most of them are really living miserably. They don't get a decent salary. They are treated unfairly. Uh, they don't have any human rights, if I may exaggerate. Um, so uh, they, it's hard for them to get a medical dental insurance. It's hard for them to um, come find a doctor. And they sacrifice just like what he said. They just want to work hard and work hard. Um, so um, this medical dental assistance or program is really a come on to them. They want to have something. They want to take advantage of that. And they want to always know where to go to find uh, free medical checkups, clinics, and even dental uh, assistance and stuff like that. So yes, and all of those are really very helpful to the immigrants, the food banks, um, because most of them are living really poorly, and so they need a lot of help. Um, the foods that they need to eat every day, yes, they are very helpful. So ministries that would deal with quality of life issues right. yes. would be helpful. Yes. All right. Jairo? Your thoughts on English as a second language, um, perhaps food bank, uh, medical dental assistance, uh, the impact you've seen of those type ministries in your community? The priorities always come in first. <laughs> if you are hungry and somebody's giving some food, that, that's, that's the priority, you know. And uh, I start a lot of uh, ways to reach out the communities and uh, like for example we open uh, ESL English as the second language and the first two or three weeks it, it, the church is you know is full of uh, students uh, everybody's coming they want to learn want to have experience but through the time then they start losing the interest because they 
thought it was easier, first of all, mm. and it's not easier to learn a language. Uh, and then other things coming uh, on the side that maybe don't, they don't find a childcare, or they don't have the transportation to come in, or they, they, they just find a, a job and they have to, you know, prioritize their, their needs. But uh, also it's a good try. It's also it's a good uh, opportunity for reach because if you invite 20 people and then at the end you win two or three, hey, that's one or two that you don't have it for the Lord. So that's, it works, it works. And, and also the, the dental clinic bus or any food pantry or any recreation for the kids or any tutoring after the school. Sometimes we had a program that we had a team that we go out to the, their houses and, and, and tutor it to the kids. And through that, we build a relationship and then we be able to share the gospel. So that's, that's the main, main thing. But opportunities are a lot uh, for them, because anything coming to help them, they receive very well. They're very thankful. They very appreciate what they can have, uh, because they they live in in, in, a, in outside of what they supposed to. They, they used to live. So anything can come in to help them, uh, really appreciate. So it's a lot of ministry opportunities that we can put together and, and reach out to the communities because they are really open to, to receive that. Yeah, just an example of, of echoing what you men are saying. Um, about 12 years ago, I'm familiar with a church in Mississippi that opened up a food bank, which is fairly common, uh, but also a, a medical clinic complete with pharmacy in which doctors and pharmacists and nurses in the community volunteered their time. And they thought their primary target audience would be basically homeless people in their community. What they discovered was the tremendous need in the ethnic community for those ministries and those services. And so their patient list quickly grew to those who were refugees, immigrants, and some international students from the local university um, receiving that kind of care. So it's kind of validating what you're saying uh, from that experience. So if you guys were going to give one piece of advice to a traditional Southern Baptist church, on how to engage uh, the diaspora community that, that you're so familiar in working with. What would be that one piece of advice? How would you uh, encourage us in ministry to refugees and immigrants and international students? Noel? Well, my answer to that is simply uh, love. Make them feel that they're not just another number in the statistics. Make them feel that they're not just another uh, feather on the cap. Make them feel not just another project. Mm. Make them feel they are loved and they belong. And um, sometimes it's uh, heartbreaking for them just to be part of the project, just to be part of the ongoing undeniable phenomenon in the U.S., the ever-changing face of our society. They don't want that. They just want a family. They want a real church. They want um, not to be a second-class member of the church, but somebody that will really feel loved and part of the community. That 
change a lot. That changes a lot of things. And uh, they, they, um, when they feel loved, when they experience and encounter the love of God through Jesus Christ, they, they would really um, not only open up, but uh, would really humble themselves to be helped because a lot of them are suspicious. A lot of them are, you know, uh, this and that. They're building a wall, not only because of lingo and language, not only because of culture and uh, um, race or roots. And uh, the, the struggle for them is to go to that feeling and state that they really belong. And so um, that is my advice to the church, that, uh, that uh, the, the, the powerful tool is love and um, everything else secondary. Wow, thank you. Hiro, uh, what might you add to that? This week, I just met with a pastor, local pastor here in the area, and he came to me asking me, we had a trailer park full of Spanish family a mile from my church. He said, how I can minister to these people, okay? Uh, he said, we have wonderful program. I want a program. We have a wonderful program for the kids on Wednesday night on Sunday morning, but we don't know how, how we'll be able to invite them to, to come in here. And I say, well, there's, there's, there's a good feeling, you know, there's, there's a good opportunity. If you notice that there is a people that they need the Lord and, and you want to reach them for the Lord. And I say, have you been able to go and walk through all those trailer parks and see how many Hispanics. No, we haven't. We just saw that it's there. What I'm going to say with this is that a lot of people want to reach their migrant people or the different ethnic, but they don't know how. Okay? And, uh, and it's normal that we don't know how because we don't belong to that culture. We don't, we don't speak the language. We don't know how they live or anything like that. So I say, well, the first thing is we're going to start praying for these people. We, we, we're going to pray because we don't know what the reality is in, in, in that community, what they really need. So we're going to start praying for that community. Then after that, we just go and visit them. We're just going to knock on the doors and, and, and introduce yourself. We are from this church. We want to meet you. We want to see how, how you've been doing around here. We want to offer you the, our facility, our church. Uh, you're very welcome. And if you need uh, transportation, if you need anything, uh, that maybe we can start praying for or, 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 or manifest, uh, show the love. Uh, love is a language that everybody understands. Right, it's, it's a it's a non-limited language that if you express the gratitude and love with somebody, it's easy for somebody can get the message. So, I guess we just need to go out and tell them that we love them, that we want to be a part of their the community and the 
there is a resources that we can provide for them in cases the in cases of emergency. They can feel to knock on the door, the church door, and say, "Hey, I got my 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 child is is in accident, and I need some help, or I don't have no clothes, I need some food, or anything that that express the needs." And we don't want to find out unless we go in that community and, and looking for those opportunities. So that's, that's the only way is to start breaking those walls that I'm here, you there, and see how, how that goes. No, we had to cross the line and, and, and introduce yourself and, and share the, what is our intention, how, how we can help you or how we can come and be your friends. So that's more relationship, one-on-one relationship. You know, guys, what you've just shared is, um, as we would say, worth the price of admission. Uh, you've helped us to see this afternoon that it's, it's not as important which methodology we might use to reach out to our diaspora brothers, whether that's a food bank or a medical clinic or ESL. But what's most important is that we reach out in love. So no one feels like a project, and we build a relationship and from that relationship, trust begins to flow. And when trust begins to flow, they begin to naturally share their needs. We, we need A and B and C. And through that love relationship, uh, Christ is exalted and the opportunity to share the gospel is before us. Um, I, I want to thank you for sharing your stories today. You, um, you've opened up. You've been transparent to us. You've helped us to get a peek into what's most important in diaspora ministry, love, building relationships, building trust, meeting the needs of people. Would you help me just say thank you to these two guys for sharing with us today? Uh, Let me remind you uh, that we're about to break after a moment of prayer. Uh, We'll be back at 7 o'clock here in Binkley Chapel. Uh, Tonight, Dr. Danny Aiken, who's president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, will be our keynote speaker You'll certainly want to hear Dr. Aiken. He has a passion for reaching the nations of the world, especially those in North America. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll see you back at 7 o'clock. Father, thank you uh, that you have helped us to understand the fundamental principle of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You taught us in your word to love you with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, these men have underscored that second great commandment to us today, that we are to love our diaspora brothers and sisters. We're to love the refugee and the immigrant and the international student. And when we love and build relationships and trust begins to flow, Father, we thank you that there we see opportunities to meet real needs of compassion. But more than that, we're given great opportunity to communicate the life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we leave uh, this breakout time and as we prepare tomorrow afternoon to return home, keep before us this lesson that we've learned today, love, to love our ethnic-born fellow neighbor so that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus in their lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.